Living the Principles. This podcast is hosted by Latricia Smith and Phyllis G. Williams. Living the Principles seeks to expand mindsets, express beliefs, and edify excellence in hopes of building a stronger Black community. Welcome to Living the Principles. Welcome. I am Latricia, and with me is my co-host, Phyllis. Hey, Phyllis. Hey, Latricia, and hello out there, everyone. I want you to roll your shoulders back because I got a little tune for you. I didn't come up with this tune, but it goes with our topic today. Don't, 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 don't believe the hype. Don't, 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 don't believe the hype. And you may be wondering what hype. And the hype is the negative perception about Africa and Africans. Latricia and I came up with this topic because I had an experience of someone saying that they've traveled all these places. However, they paused and said, I would never go to Africa. And it threw me off. I asked them, what's wrong with Africa? So we just talked about how that can be dangerous, our personal experiences offline. So we're going to do a little bit of that today online. Latricia. Yes. (laughs) So you've been to Kenya more recently than I have. So let's just give the people some knowledge so we can break up that first. What's wrong with Africa? What was your experience in Africa, specifically Kenya? What did you like? What was amazing? My experience in Kenya was was very pleasant. I had a great time in Kenya. In fact, I want to go back, but not before I go a couple of other places first. But I definitely am going to make my way back to Kenya and to other countries in Africa as well. One of the people who went with us is from the Republic of Congo, and he was telling us about the Republic of Congo, so I really want to go there as well. But Kenya, to me, it was really fabulous. We started out in Nairobi, and Nairobi is just like any other big city to me. It was full of people, Mm -hmm. full of traffic, full of noise. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Besides Nairobi, where else did you visit in Kenya? We visited a city called Kasumu, which I believe is the third largest city in Kenya. Oh, okay. And we visited a village called Ogata. Hmm. Kasumu was a lot quieter than Nairobi, so I did like being in Kasumu a lot better than Nairobi. Nairobi, there was just too much going on there for me. Mm-hmm. Just like New York City. <laughs> exactly. Great place to mm-hmm. visit, but I wouldn't want to live there. Mm-hmm. We also went to Lake Nakuru to a Ooh. safari for a couple of days, and that was great. I really enjoyed the safari, but I love the people in Kenya. They were so friendly, they were so welcoming. I've been to other countries where I didn't feel very welcomed by the natives, 
But it wasn't mm-hmm. like that in Kenya. I felt very welcome and I felt like I belonged there. Mm. We had some great food while we were over there. I love the nature. I really enjoyed being out in nature, just seeing the animals in their natural habitat. That was just spectacular. And just the the mountains and the valleys, it was just beautiful. Kenya was just beautiful. And I imagine that there are other parts of Africa that are just as beautiful. So I I love the beauty of it all. And I love the culture, learning from the different people who were there. They taught me so many things because you know me, I'm I'm very inquisitive and I ask uh-huh. a lot of questions and they didn't feel like I was bothering them or anything. They allowed me to ask my questions and they answered my questions. Even one of the guys, he was milking a cow. He even let me come with him to milk the cow and he was telling me all this stuff about milking the cow and how Ooh. they use the milk to make money for the children's home and and how they helped other people in the village by giving them milk. They were very communal. And that was one of the things that oh, I wow. loved the most. I think my biggest takeaway was that they were very community oriented. They looked out for each other. They took care of each other. They respected the elders. It was just beautiful. It just reminded me of days gone. Oh, wow. And you said you got a chance to see some animals. What were some animals that you saw? The first animal that we saw when we went to the lake was a lion. And that was so exciting. There was a lion. He was just lying on the side of the road like he just belonged there. And I was just so (laughs) excited to see a lion on the street. And we saw lions and every animal from the Lion King. I was like, oh, there's Timon. Oh, there's Pumbaa. Rafiki. It was just, we saw all kinds of animals, hyenas, Oh, you guys did. You didn't tell me about the hyenas. Yeah, we saw hyenas (laughs) and antelope, and I was like, hey, there's Ed. I love the Lion King, so. (laughs) (laughs) I do not remember Ed. I remember the other characters, Rafiki and Timon and Pumbaa and those characters. So you really enjoyed Africa. Specifically Kenya. I went to Kenya in 2010. I had similar experiences to you. I didn't visit as many cities as you did. I visited Nairobi. I stayed there majority of my time. And I visited a small town called Nyeri. My friend, I went with someone who grew up in Africa. We were going up his driveway and I wasn't aware that we had made it to his house. And I asked him, I said, where are we going now? He said, this is my house. And it looked like something from a postcard. The greenery, the flowers, the background, the way the sun was setting. And I remember I was like, oh, my gosh, your driveway is so nice. (laughs) And they probably were like, that's that's weird, but okay." (laughs) And I went to a place where I believe it was called the Tomb Raider with Angelina Jolie. There's a portion of that movie that was filmed in Kenya. So we walked in those canyons with some of the leaders. I believe this particular leader, the guy, was from the Maasai tribe. So like you said, I felt like 
these are my extended family members and I'm coming home. One thing that's kind of majestic about my experience was before I even desired to go to Kenya or Africa, I had a dream that I was at a campfire and I remember the richness of the earth. So I had that dream years before I went. But when I made it to Kenya, it was like this was the dirt that I saw in my dream years ago. So there's definitely for me, and it sounds like for you also, that there's a connection with Kenya. You spoke of the valleys. I remember like there's bananas and there's tea valleys. And I went on a lake also and I wasn't afraid on the lake. And initially they were like, are you going to be afraid to go on the lake? I'm like, no, I'll be fine because we have life vests. And they were like, uh, okay. So then when we got in the lake, they were like, we thought you're going to be afraid of the hippos or crocodiles possibly. And then I was like, oh, yeah. I forgot about those animals. <laughs> and I remember when we were on that lake, you could see the mountains. You saw we passed Mount Kenya. We passed the equator. And it was an excellent experience. And like you said, there's so many other places in Africa. If I get married, I want to have my honeymoon in Zanzibar, which people don't think of beaches that look like Hawaii in Africa. So that's somewhere I want to go to. And some more places I probably would like to visit. West Africa as well. But. We had such great experiences going to Africa, but there's all these negative perceptions about Africa and Africans. What were some of your experiences with friends, families, or et cetera, discussing your trip? Mostly people were concerned about diseases and danger. Like Africa is dangerous. People think that every part of Africa is this war-torn place where people are always killing each other and they think of the danger. And I think that some people had the right to be concerned because Kenya does border Somalia and Uh there had been a lot of stuff going on with Somalia. So I can understand that. But sometimes things are just blown out of proportion. And the interesting thing is that I did not feel unsafe at any time while I was there. As a matter Mm. of fact, everywhere we went, there was armed security. We couldn't get into the grocery store without going like we're going through an airport in the United States. You had to put your bag through there. You had to go through all this, through the scanner and all this stuff. So I never felt unsafe while I was there. Mm. And I vaguely remember, too the soldiers in the street and I was asking my friend like what happened why are they here and they're like he's like no this is the norm and I was like oh okay so yeah there's security in a lot of those areas yep so you didn't feel safe there was security with the malaria when I went I was already taking some medicine for acne and the doctor told me well you don't need to take anything I was like I don't they're like what you're taking now also combats malaria. So I didn't even have to take an extra pill for malaria. Well, let me tell you, those malaria pills made me so sick. One day I was just sick and throwing up and it was just awful. And I Mm. told my husband, I said, I'm not taking these things anymore. I'm just not going to take them anymore. And do you know that I did not get bit by a single mosquito? I'm too sweet for the mosquitoes. 
I did not get bit <laughs> one time while I was over there. Not once. Which was so amazing because mosquitoes usually eat me alive here. And they were really? tearing my husband up. <laughs> my husband was like, oh, I got to get out of here. <laughs> we were trying to get back in before the dark. They said those mosquitoes come out at like 7 o'clock in the evening. And they come out at like 7 o'clock in the morning. And when dark start rolling around, my husband ready to go. It's like, okay, these mosquitoes are getting ready to start coming out biting. And I promise you, yeah. I did not get bit a single time while I was over there. And I didn't think about that either, but I did get bit by some type of bug, but I don't think it was a mosquito. I don't know if it was an ant or something because I was all, I went on a trek and we were sitting on logs and climbing over this thing and that thing so i did get bit by something but like you said it seems like mosquitoes love my blood type in north carolina because i don't know why but i didn't i didn't have the experience of swatting away mosquitoes all day and all night that was one of my biggest concerns when we were preparing to go there, getting eaten up by mosquitoes. And we had the bracelets, the mosquito bracelets. We had the spray. Mm-hmm. I had the mosquito net. I had everything prepared for mosquitoes, but I did not get touched by a mosquito. Those mosquitoes, they knew. They're like, we're going to stay here. <laughs> I did have spray. I did bring spray as well, but. I was surprised when the doctor said, oh, you don't need any malaria pills. I was like, okay, well, you are a doctor. (laughs) So your biggest concern was health issues. I think for me, it wasn't a concern. Sometimes, you know, we have thoughts in their subconscious. You don't realize it until you're in a situation. When I went over there, I was under the impression that Kenyans would be more aggressive. I felt it was going to be somewhere like in New York City, but it was not that vibe. Like you said, it was homey. It was welcoming. It was, Phyllis, do you want any water? Phyllis, where would you like to go? What time would you like for us to start our day, Phyllis? And I was like, oh, my goodness, these people are, listen, um, I don't know if you're going to get that treatment from my family. about what time do you want to start your journey and where do you want to go today and do you want this place or that place or what would you like to eat Phyllis they were just so kind and I did eat something called ugali did you get a chance to eat that yes I did eat some ugali I didn't care too much for the ugali but one of the teenagers he showed me how to make ugali, so I watched him mm. put it together, and I helped him make it. He was strong, too. He was like, and you, you stir it up in this pot. And I, I was like, wow, it was so cool. And they loved ugali. Every time we went, when they were eating and it was mealtime, they were throwing down on that ugali. I put some salt I on it. I liked it. Did you? <laughs> do you like grits? I do. I like grits. Okay. With, with some, some reason, salt and butter on them. Oh, okay, okay. Because I I, I can eat my grits just with a little bit of salt, some butter too. But for some reason, I don't know why I equated it to (laughs) Kenyan grits. Because it's not like that you eat it with your hands. But you grew up in California. I grew up in Mississippi. And we would eat, I know you have family from Louisiana. But uh, we would eat our greens and cornbread with our hands. So it was something about the ugali. Well, I said grits, but more like cornbread. The wet cornbread, when you put it in the greens, the the way it's wet, that's what Ugali reminded me of a little bit, like mixing how we mix green and cornbreads. They would have maybe Ugali and chicken gizzards or Ugali and goat. 
So yeah, Kenya was excellent. I definitely want to go again. I do hate that I had the perception or subconscious perception that people are going to be more aggressive in Kenya. But I believe that's one of the issues with Africa and Africans is perceptions. And I remember somebody in my life asked me, were you afraid for your life? And I was like, well, no more afraid I am driving on the Merc. So (laughs) no, I wasn't. (laughs) And they were like, oh, where did you live? Did you live in a hut? And these were people from work, highly educated people and educators asking me these questions. I said, no, I stayed in a hotel that had electricity and running water and a food court. Like they had a, they had a court where you can go eat your breakfast at and it was out in the open. And I was like, they, I went to a mall that's bigger than any mall in Fayetteville. It's probably three or four times the size of the mall in Fayetteville, upstairs, downstairs, escalator, fine clothing. And they were like, oh, oh, wow. And I was like, this was in 2010. I was like, oh yeah, it's very advanced. And I remember another advancement was these marble sinks that were slanted and it had the infinity pool type feel. And I remember it's so ironic because I walked out of the bathroom and I was looking like, oh my gosh, where is the sink? All I see is this slab. Oh, how do you use this? And this lady came over and she waved her hand and the water started falling down and I just laughed and she laughed. And (laughs) people are asking me, did I see people with hot bellies and flies on their stomach? And I had difficulty using their sink, which is now starting to trend. I saw it go viral, the same type of sink in another country two years ago. And when I saw it, I said, I saw this same sink in 2010 in Kenya. <laughs> so just our perception of their technologies and behaviors, it can all be so detrimental. What other way can those perceptions be detrimental, do you think? I think a lot of these perceptions perpetuate racism and discrimination. Mm-hmm. We have these beliefs about people that aren't necessarily true. And like you said, some of it is subconscious. A lot of it we get from television because if you've never been to a place and you've never had exposure to a people, then where do you get your thoughts and ideas from? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I was yeah. reading about how there is a great deal of Afrophobia around the world. And it just makes me sad mm. to know that people around the world have such a disdain for Africans and people of African descent. Mm-hmm. I, I saw an article where there was an ad in China. I think it was a video where they were advertising laundry detergent and there was a black man and he had some stuff on his face They put the dish, not dish, they put the laundry detergent in his mouth, put him in the washing machine, and pulled out a clean Asian man. And I'm like, you know, I thought that was ridiculous. And it's just one of those racist things that I don't even know if people are aware of it. I know sometimes I say stuff like that and people say, no, 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 don't, don't cut them any slack. They know exactly what they're doing. 
And I've heard, I've talked to people, black people who have gone to China and they said that they've had the most awful experience over there, that people thought they were dirty, that people just come up to them and start taking their picture because they see Uh them as some kind of different, I guess. And Mm -hmm. I was also reading about how the same thing happens all over the world, not just in Uh China, even in Africa, in South Africa, it happens there, in India, and of course in Europe. It's just Uh everywhere. And it's just so sad because why is it that way? And I don't know if a lot of it is rooted in slavery, rooted in apartheid. I'm Uh not really sure. Colonialism in general as well. Because when you were talking, I thought about Italy. There was a soccer player. I'm not sure what country he was from, but he was crying because they were making monkey noises at him. I think one strategy, even if it's subconscious, is to make the other person feel as if they're less than human. So you're superior. But there is issues across the world with Afrophobia. And it's due to programming. So by saying, I don't want to go to Africa, which has 54 countries, people often say it as Africa is one country. When people say, I don't want to go to Africa, I have to wonder, how can you dislike a place but love the people? I don't think you can. I think it may be subconsciously, it may be overt. But you're going to have a disdain for the people as well. And sadly, it's not only in other cultures and other countries. There's also this discord amongst African-Americans and Africans. Sometimes when Africans come to America, we are puffed up at them as if, oh, you may not know this because you're not from America. And it's not that they're just coming from a different culture. We Sometimes, and I say we, I just mean people, assume that they're ignorant when they are just adjusting to a different culture instead of welcoming them with open arms. So just the perception of African people or Africa, it hurts. It hurts everyone. It really does hurt everyone. And what a lot of people don't know, when you said that they think that they're they're just ignorant, and a lot of times it's not that because a lot of People from other countries, they're very well educated and they Uh speak multiple languages and they're very well rounded. They have traveled the world. But if English Uh is not your first language, then you may have some difficulties in communicating. Uh Exactly. And just the layout, you've been to a lot of places around the world. I'm not sure. I don't remember this in any other country. I haven't been to a dozen countries, but I've been to a few. And in Africa, they have a bathroom and they have a toilet, some places, some houses. So you don't actually use the bathroom because the bathroom is just for the tub. It's just for washing. And the toilet is for using the toilet. So they may come from there to here and they say, well, may I use the toilet? And I'm using this as an example. Oh, they're not even... They're not even poised. They said use the toilet, not knowing the background of their culture. Exactly. That's a really good example. Many times it's just a misperception or miscommunication because of the language. It's the same thing with Europe. Mm -hmm. They have different 
names for different things. Like mm-hmm. in England, the trunk of the car is called the boot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And in Kenya, they speak the Queen's English. So I went with somebody who's a dear friend of mine. But when he first came to America, I remember saying, what? What? What does that mean? Pass over or something like that. And I, like you said, the boot. I was like, the boot? Uh, it's under my bed. Like, why would I check the boot? So, <laughs> so there's all these different language barriers. And not even that, if they move to the South and we're saying all these colorful colloquialisms, fine as frog hair, they're, now they're like, what does that mean? Right. And we don't, we're not even thinking about that when we're, we're not thinking about that aspect of language most of the time when we talk to somebody else from a different place. And that is so funny. And that's that's true even here because you say some things that I have never heard in my life. And I think they're so funny. So now I'll say them. What's the thing about the grits? Oh, that really burns my grits when somebody annoys me. Oh, that really burns my grits. Because once you burn grits, it's just too much work. So, (laughs) yeah. So we don't even think about that. And another thing I think perception interferes with is unity. We come yeah. we, we come with this perception already. So instead of open arms, now we have a closed fist and we're ready to strike because something about this person tells me not to trust them. And we're not looking at the root of the issue. <laughs> and just like I had a perception about people from, well, Kenyans I was going to see, I thought they were going to be aggressive. You know what? Guess what they said to me? Oh, Phyllis, you're so humble and you're kind and you're respectful. And I'm thinking, uh, yeah, my mama and daddy raised me right. So why is this a shock? And guess what they told me? We were imagining you were going to be like the girls of Real Housewives. So we're watching TV, seeing people with flies on their belly. They're watching TV seeing Americans that are boisterous and very materialistic, and we're both being programmed, oh, that's how it is over there. They're saying, oh, that's how it is over there. So perception can interfere with unity. One of the things that I've noticed is how when Black people come here from other places, whether it's places in Africa, Haiti, Jamaica, no matter Mm -hmm. where it is, it seems like they find their people and they congregate with their people and it it becomes this us against them kind of thing Mm -hmm. instead of the whole unity of the black diaspora. We're all interconnected. You may have come from a different place. We're Mm -hmm. all part of the motherland. That's the birthplace of humanity. So... Mm -hmm. I think if we spent more time trying to find what we have in common instead of those things that are different, then we can come together more. Yeah, that's so true. And we do have so much in common. As you were speaking about our interconnectedness, connectness, that word, I was saying, <laughs> I thought about people I've met from across different parts of the world, and I may do something and they say, where did you learn that from? I'm like, I don't know. My grandma did it and she taught my mom and we just always do it. For example, I'm from Mississippi. You know, it can be kind of snakes and bayou and all that stuff or just superstitions. So I met somebody when I was in Iraq, even though they, they weren't from the 
African diaspora. They were from Pakistan and they saw me burning my hair and they said, you know what? We do that. And I said, you guys do? And I met somebody in South Carolina, somebody in Louisiana, and they all said, yeah, we were always told to burn our hair and don't put it in the trash or don't just throw it out. So I just said all that to say we all are interconnected, even across different cultures and um, different parts of the country. Yeah, because when you said burn your hair, I'm like, what? Yeah, in your, from the comb. <laughs> so the loose hair that, you know, when you comb your hair and then there's the loose hair in the comb, we would always scrape it up, roll it in a ball and burn it. We would never throw it in the trash growing up. And why is that? The funny thing is I went to I went with my friend to South Carolina and I don't know how we got on that topic. But she said, you know what? We did that. And she was like, I'm going to ask my mama why. And I told her, well, I remember my mom or grandma telling me if a bird gets it, you'll be sick. That's all I remember them saying is you'll be sick. And her mom said, without me even saying anything, she said, oh, yeah, we used to do that because they say if a bird gets your hair, um, you have headaches. You'll, you'll always have bad headaches. So South Carolina, Mississippi, Pakistan, and we all have this same theme. Yep. At the end of the day, that's what we have to look for. We have to look for the commonalities because we all have something in common. Mm-hmm. We are mm-hmm. all part of the black diaspora. We all have some of the same struggles. We all mm-hmm. have some of the same triumphs. We all have some of the same fears. We're we're mm-hmm. all human. Even people who aren't black. We're mm-hmm. all human. The one commonality that we have as people is our humanity. Mm-hmm. Thus, we all should be treated with humanity. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's true looking down upon other people, whether it's because they speak differently, they have a Southern dialect, they have a Middle Eastern accent, they have a foreign accent. They dress different than we do. Yes. Mm -hmm. No matter what it is, before you look down upon someone, find the common ground. Latricia, that sounds like your principal challenge, is it? You know what? That is my principal challenge. My principal challenge for today is find common ground and love the African diaspora. Wow, I really enjoyed this. And I'm so glad that we are connected because we have so many things in common. For our next section, since we've talked about Africa, I'm going to talk about some good news from Africa. So today, when we spread the good news, it is about the motherland. And the people from the motherland. Open your hearts, ears, and minds for our next section. Spread the good news. Not rumors, not rubbish. Living the principles, we spread the good news. Our first topic comes from the great country of Kenya. We've been talking about Kenya already. So let's start with Beth Kowiji. Beth Kowiji is a 27-year-old project planner. She is the mastermind behind a system called Magic Water System, spelled M-A-J-I-K. This system allows gels to be heated up using solar power, and it turns air to water. It uses the air 
to develop or form water. So the magic water system from Kenya by Beth Koiji. This may not be liquid gold, but it definitely is concerning gold. Nare Tariba is from Nigeria. She is not your average business person. She started with trading in minerals, specifically lead, and has continued to move up in the two trillion mining value chain. Her major area of concern now is gold. She not only wants to focus on gold for Nigeria, but for West Africa. Nare Tariba, Nigeria, gold, mind in the making. Our last person to highlight is from the country of Uganda. Paul Matovu knew that there was an issue with land, specifically farmland. So he developed something called the vertical form. This source of timber box measures 90 centimeters wide and 90 centimeters in height, but it can hold up to 200 plants. Very innovative. So my last person to highlight is Paul Matuva from Uganda. Uganda, Nigeria, Kenya. Today I was so grateful to spread the good news. That is good news. It's good news to know that people in Africa are doing great things. Mm-hmm. So like you said at the beginning, don't believe the hype. Yes. Well, Latricia, we've given them a lot of information today. The last thing we can leave them with is a soul snack. Our soul snack today comes from a Rwandan proverb, and it says... If you are building a home and the nail breaks, do you stop building or change the nail? Hmm, very fitting. That's our show for today. Until next time, expand your minds and impact your communities. Thanks for listening to Living the Principles podcast. Be sure to visit us at livingtheprinciples365.com to access the show and join in on the conversations.